0: Well, it has been uh, my privilege uh, to be here with these last few days, and I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed myself. I feel like I have some new friends in New Jersey, uh, which is good. They're better than the old friends in New Jersey that I had. And uh, so I'm very grateful for uh, this time that we've been able to have together. I do appreciate your pastor. Uh, giving me the honor to come and preach. I know what it's like as a pastor to pray and to think about your people. And and it, it is quite a humbling uh, opportunity when uh, you're entrusted uh, with the care of uh, of your flock for the last couple of days. And uh, I, I so appreciate uh, him allowing me the opportunity just to share God's word with you. And I do hope and pray that uh, we've been helped as we've a journey through God's Word together. You've been so kind and gracious to me with everything, the, the accommodations, the, uh, the meals, the gifts. I can't believe how many bags of unwrapped Starburst I'm going back to North Carolina with. You, you'd be blown away. I've already scheduled two dental appointments uh, just to make sure everything is good. And uh, I mean that. Thank you so much for what you've done. And uh, I do hope that we'll have the opportunity to come back and and be with you in the future. Maybe I can uh, even bring my family uh, with me uh, uh, down the road as well. I want to be a help to you from the heart of a pastor on this final night that we have together. Because suffering and seasons of trial... Are something that hits every one of us. It has been said you are either in a season of suffering right now in this moment. You're either coming out of a season of suffering or you're going into a season of suffering. That is the cycle of life. And I want us to see some things from God's word tonight that I think will help us no matter where we are. In the cycle, either in it, coming out of it, or fixing to go into it. And so I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Job, or as my five-year-old says, the book of Job, uh, Job chapter 23, Job chapter 23, the title of the message this evening is, When My Faith is Tested. When my faith is tested. We're only going to read one verse here at the beginning, but please keep your Bibles open as we'll look at several verses within the book of Job this evening. Job 23, find if you would please, verse number 10. Job 23 and verse 10, the Bible says... But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, that is, when he hath tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I'd like for you to say this verse out loud with me. Would you do that, please? Let's begin there. Verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. There are two things as way of introduction that you need to know right here at the beginning about the book of Job. Number one, you need to know that this is a non-fiction book. Job was a real person who had a real life experience with suffering. There are many agnostics and unbelievers of the Bible who come to the book of Job and they try to use it to prove to us that the Bible that we cherish so dearly cannot possibly be true. How in the world could all of these things happen to one individual? And I'm here to remind you that the book of Job is a real book. Job was a real man who experienced the sufferings that are laid out here before us. And not only is it a nonfiction book, it's also true that it is a alarming book. This is about the intense, unimaginable suffering of a godly man. The book reminds us that we are all susceptible to suffering and trials that are beyond our comprehension to bear. However, It also reminds us that in the midst of life's most difficult days, that there is a fixed hope, that there is a fixed hero, that we have a helper, and that is God himself. There's some things you need to know about the character of Job before we dive into Job 23. In fact, if you hold your place there in Job 23 and turn all the way to the beginning of Job chapter 1, I want you to see a few things that we learn about this man at the very beginning of the book. The, the first thing that I've written down in here, uh, here in my notes is that, uh, number one, Job was a man of character. Job was a man of character. The Bible says here in uh, verse 1 that uh, he came from the land of Uz. His name was Job. And notice this. It says he was perfect and upright. Now, that doesn't mean he was perfect in the sense that he was sinless, that he had never done anything wrong. It simply means he was a man of complete integrity. He was a mature man. He was a godly man. Not only that, it says right here in verse 1 that he feared God and he eschewed evil. That is, he feared God and he hated evil. He was a saved man who lived faithfully for God. We're not talking about a wicked man. We're not talking about an unsaved man. We're not even talking about a man who is dabbling in things that he need not be dabbling in and as a result, all of these sufferings began to take place in his life. The book of Job has nothing to do with the law of the harvest that is we reap what we sow. For what job was sowing were seeds of goodness, seeds of good character. He was a godly, saved man who was faithful to the lord that 's what you need to know first. Job was a man of character here 's the second thing you need to know is that job was a family man. he was a family man, verse two there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters he had ten children. Uh, we learn throughout the uh, Jewish uh, heritage that God honored and uh, blessed Job with a large and prosperous family. It was a sign of blessing uh, to be given that many uh, children into uh, one home. But not only did he have many children, verses 4 and 5 tells us that he was indeed the spiritual leader of his home. Uh, look at verse 4, and his sons went and feasted in their houses, Everyone. His day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so in the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. How did he do it? By rising up early in the morning, offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. The number of his children. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Notice the last sentence. Thus did job continually this is a good father rising up early in the morning offering sacrifices that is uh, coming to god in prayer on behalf of his children and the bible says that he didn't just do this often or occasionally no it says he did it continually. Job was a family man who did not depend on someone else to provide for the spiritual needs of his family. He took that responsibility gladly and he worked hard at praying for and offering sacrifices on behalf of his children. This is a good man, a man of character, a man who put his family First, In spiritual areas. He was also, I wrote down number three, a successful businessman. I look again back at verse three, if you will. The Bible says that his substance also was 7,000 cheap and 3,000. Camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household. That's just a simple way of saying he had a big place, all right? So that this man was the greatest of all the men in the East. God had blessed him with good success. Seems like to me, when you open up Job chapter 1, hey, this is the kind of guy that any of us would aspire to be. Godly good family man, prosperous, successful, had it all. But when you come to verse number six, everything changes. And it changes with one simple phrase. I want you to see it. Look at verse six. Now there was a day Now there was a day. Think about that. We never know what a day holds, do we? Everything, according to verses 1 through 5 in Job's situation, even in ours today, everything that is comfortable in our lives today can change tomorrow. I'm grateful that God is already in our tomorrows. He already knows what's going to happen. I was thinking about that as we were singing songs a moment ago that God loves me. He sees my past. He sees my present. He sees what I'm going to do. And he still loves me anyway. What an amazing God. I'm resting in the fact this evening that God is already in those tomorrows. But I have no idea what tomorrow is going to be like for me. I don't know what kind of phone call I may get tomorrow that may wreck my world. The truth of the matter is, you don't either. Everything that is comfortable at 728 on this Wednesday evening could change before 11 o'clock tonight. That's why Proverbs tells us that we need not boast ourselves of tomorrow. For why? We know not what a day may bring forth. Everything was great for Job, but then there was a day. One day, one day, and it all changed. Here's what happened. You keep going down through chapter one, Satan is doing a celebratory dance, if you will. It's kind of like when the Eagles score touchdowns. He's just making a fool out of himself right there in front of God. He's doing a celebratory dance here in verse number six. And it's as if he's mocking God, trying to insinuate that God was losing in the world and that he was winning. He says, listen, I've been going all around the world and nobody's serving you, God. They're all doing what I want them to do. Look at it there in verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also. And the Lord said unto Satan, Uh, Whence comest thou? Where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. I mean, he's showboating. He's letting God know that he is losing with his very own creation. And so God says, well, there's one guy you haven't been able to persuade yet. And uh, that's my servant, Job, verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant, Job? There's none like him in all the earth. He's a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. To which Satan responds, well, God, let me just be honest with you. The only reason why he's a man of integrity and a man of character and worships you and follows you is because you've blessed him with so much. That's the only reason he even likes you. That's what Satan says. Look look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord, Doth Job fear God for naught? You think he worships you for nothing? He worships you because of everything that you've given to you. I guarantee you that if you take it all away, he'll stop worshiping fact, he'll curse you. Job doesn't love you, God. He's a fraud. He worships you because of what you do for him. That's it. I think it's very fascinating here to me that Satan never once accuses Job as much as he is accusing God That's very important. Because there are things going on, spiritual warfare in high places that we know nothing about. This wasn't about Job. Job was a good man. This is about Satan wanting to destroy the sovereign glory of an almighty God. Listen. There's two things you need to remember very clearly. Number one, God found no fault with Job, not one, not one. And the point here for him, even bringing up joy, is that or Job is that not all suffering is the result of sin. It is true the law of the harvest exists. We will reap what we sow and many of the pains and difficulties that we experience in life are not Satan's fault. They're nobody else's fault but our own. But not in all cases. Sometimes God allows testings and suffering when we've been doing everything exactly the way that we're supposed to do it. Not all suffering. is a result of sin. Here's the second thing that's very important to know about this. Satan never touches anyone without God's sovereign allowance. Never. I think sometimes we give the devil way too much credit than he deserves. He's only a being that can be in one place at one time, all right? He's not God. He wants to be God. He'll never be anywhere close to God. And sometimes we blame the devil for things where he's probably halfway around the world, not even nearby. Yeah, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. But if Satan is entering into your life and bringing you through a season of testing, you know this for sure. It wasn't because God wasn't paying attention to your life. It's because God allowed it. He will never touch you without God's permission. Never. And so now this conversation moves from heaven. It comes down and the pain ensues. And one day, that day that we talked about, in verse 6, Job loses everything. Everything. He lost his employees. He lost his livestock. He lost his possession. Worst of all, he lost all ten of his children. Can you imagine this? And that all happened not in a matter of a couple of years or a few months, not even in a few days. It all happened in one day. He lost it all. I picture it like this. I don't have time to read it all for you. Maybe you'll go home tonight and spend a little time in chapter one and see some of these things for yourself. But I just picture it. Here's here's Job. He's out doing his business, and here comes one of his messengers. Oh, you're not going to believe this. We we just lost all the she asses, and and he's like, oh no, what are we going to do? And just as he's telling him, here comes the second messenger, Job, Job. You're you, you're not going to believe this. We we've lost all the cattle, and before he could even get the word cattle out, here comes the third messenger. Job, Job, you're not going to believe this. All the employees, they're gone, they're gone. Who's gone? Here comes the fourth messenger. Job, Job, Job. Oh, don't say it. No. I'm sorry, Job. The kids, I, I was with them. I was in the house. I was the only one to survive. The storm came from nowhere. The house collapsed outside, inward. Everybody Everybody, Joe, I'm so sorry. Everybody died. We've lost everything. And just when you think that's bad, it gets worse. Job's health begins to deteriorate to the brink of death. his, when his friends come to see him in chapter 2, they can barely even recognize him. His wife is of no help to him. Which, by the way, we need not give her too much of a hard time because when we're going through difficult things in life, we say things sometimes that we don't really mean. I've seen some preachers give uh, old Mrs. Job a very bad, hard time, but I guarantee you if they were experiencing what Job was experiencing, they'd probably be doing the exact same thing. Don't be too hard on her. But the point's taken. She's of no help. And then you... Find out that the rest, you, you, you find this out all the way in chapter 19 that, that his extended family abandons him and his so called friends. You remember his three friends? Eliphaz and Bildad and, and uh, Zophar. Some of you young families hoping for children. There's your three good names, all right? Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Actually, their reputation, I wouldn't even come close to that, all right? What do they do? They don't help him. They scorn him. They they accuse him of sin that he did not commit. They flat out make him miserable. I'm talking about his friends who should be helping him and encouraging him. They make him miserable in this season of suffering. In fact, it's one of the most humorous statements in all the book of Job to me. You're in chapter 1. Let's just go forward to chapter 16. I want you to see what Job said about his very own friends. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. Look at Job 16. They're just harping on him. That's what's been happening in the previous chapters. They're harping on him. They're ridiculing him. All this Job would have never happened if you just loved God, if you were just right with God, if you were just following God, then you wouldn't experience all this Job. And here's what Job said. Look at Job 16. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. And miserable comforters are you all. <laughs> you're a bunch of miserable comforters. That's what you are. Trying to comfort me. And you don't even realize that in your attempt to comfort me, you're making my life miserable. And Job's had some high moments of faith. We sang the song, 10,000 Reasons, tonight. A lot of that is... Developed from the statement in which Job says in chapter 1, naked came out of my mother's womb, naked will I turn. Right there. I didn't come with nothing, I'm not going with nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I may lose it all, but I'm going to live my life blessing the name of the Lord. He's had some high moments of faith. When his wife did tell him to curse God and die, he said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. I can't, I can't curse God in this moment of weakness when, when all these good things he's blessed. I mean, he's had some high moments of faith. But there's certainly been some moments where Job has struggled to cope with what has happened to him. In fact, when you study the book of Job, you'll find him asking questions that we often ask when we face difficult seasons of life. Why me? Why this? Why now? Why so much I mean, I barely feel like I can keep my head above water. When it rains, it's pouring. I mean, it just seems like every morning I get up, it's another bad phone call after another. Do you ever feel that way? Seems like you can barely breathe, not understanding what all is going on. I'm a detailed-oriented person. I'm a planner, although my desk has never been as clean as Stephanie's desk. But I am OCD. In fact, I'm so OCD that that's not even the way it should be. It should be CDO because that's how it is in the alphabet. Thank you. I'm detail-oriented and planned. I know where I'm going, what we're doing, when we're doing it. I don't like surprises. Surprises. I don't receive surprises very well. And those of you with my same personality know exactly what I'm talking about. You ever been with someone and you go somewhere and you're like, well, you didn't tell me about that. I didn't know we were going here. You know, a pastor stands up and says, hey, we're going we're gonna, to uh, need a fellowship. Come on out here Saturday for the fellowship. We're going to have a good time. There'll be some donuts. There'll be some coffee. And when you get here, there's no donuts. There's no coffee. There's paintbrushes and paint cans. <laughs> well, wait a minute. You didn't say anything about that. <laughs> yeah, we know how to do this thing. That's how it is with God. The Lord's will is carried out for our lives like a scroll, just a little bit at a time. We don't always know what He has in store for us, what His purposes are. They're not always revealed at once. That's why we live by faith. You know what faith is? Living by faith. Let me give you a good understanding of what living by faith is. Living by faith is living according to God's plan, even when we don't know all that his plan entails. That's living by faith. Living by God's plan, even when we don't know all that his plan entails. I know you're getting worried because I didn't even give you the first point. In fact, I've given you so many numbers, you're probably even confused at what number we're on. Well, all of that was intro, and there was a lot of info in my intro, all right? Don't worry, the intro's a lot longer than the rest, I think. We come to chapter 23, would you go back there, please? We see a low moment of despair as well as a high moment of faith. He begins in verse 1 of chapter 23 and verse 2 by saying, hey, I'm I'm having a bad day. Look at it. Even today, today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. I'm, I'm having a bad day. That's what Job is saying. By the way, it's important for us to understand that as we are comforting the hurting, suffering drains a person's energy. Suffering will suck the life out of you. And when you're going through it, man, there there are good days and there are bad days. And sometimes the good day and the bad day is the same day. And those of you who have gone through seasons of suffering, you understand what I'm talking about. And you're down and, and you're out and it keeps coming. I mean, one after another. There's some days you can call and I'm good. There's some days I want to just throw it all in and go away. Job's having one of those moments. He's had good moments, but today he even says it. Verse 2, today, today, I'm, I'm having a bad day today. In regards to his suffering. He continues in verses 3 through 9, he says, Listen to what he says, oh, verse 3, that I knew where I might find him. Find who? God. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seed. That is his presence. Verse 4, I would order my calls before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Oh, if I could just see him and talk to him, I have a lot that I need to say to God. But look at what he says in verse 8. I go forward, he's not there. I go backward, I can't find him. He hideth himself on the the right hand, I I cannot see him. On the left hand, where he doth work, I, I can't behold him. You ever been there? Joe saying, I'm having, a, I'm having a bad day. It's just one of those days of suffering. I, just, I feel like I need to pour it all out to God. But I, I look that way and I don't feel like He's there. And I look this way and I don't feel like He's there. And I look that way and I don't feel like He's there. I look behind Him. I, I just sometimes don't know where God is. Can I encourage you tonight, church, that like Job, you may not be able to sense God's presence. But that doesn't mean that God is not there. He's always there. Sufferings have a way to cause you to sense that God has moved far away from you. Then when you come to verse 10, everything changes. This is, to me, this is, this is so classic suffering. You've been there, Right? I'm having a bad day. I can't find God in anywhere. And so now, verse ten, we see a high moment of strength and faith. You see it there? But he knoweth the way that I take. <laughs> and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold <laughs> Write these three things down. This is the this is the message number one. When my faith is tested, the first thing I need to know is that God knows what I do not. Do you believe that? Write it down. God knows what I do not. Look at the first part of verse 10. He knoweth the way that I take. He knoweth the way that I take. Say that out loud with me. Ready? He knoweth the way that I take. Listen, God not only knows where I'm at today, but he knows where I've been and he knows where I'm going. And this is a wonderful contrast to what Job has just said in verse 9 by saying, I'm looking everywhere around me and I don't know where God is. But then when you get to verse 10, he says, hey, I don't know where God is, but he knows where I am That's the point. God knows who I am and where I am and what I'm going through. God knows what I do not. We don't know what a day is going to bring, but God does. We don't know what the future holds, but God does. We don't know what's on the horizon tomorrow, but God does. He knows the way that I take. He knows everything about me. And some of you who are here tonight going through seasons of suffering wondering where God is. Let me tell you, He's where He has always been. (laughs) Right with you. And you may be scared out of your mind wondering what is in store even tomorrow. Don't fear, friend. God knows the steps that you take. He knows what you do not know. He knows what you do not know. But here's where we struggle. Though God knows, He is not under any obligation to explain Himself. It's hard for us to swallow, isn't it? In fact, that's exactly what Elihu, one of Job's mentors, told him. You've got to see this. Hold your finger in chapter 23. We'll come back. Flip over to chapter 33. I told you we're going to walk through Job tonight. God knows, but he's under no obligation to explain himself. And Elihu stresses this point clearly to Job. Look at Job 33 and verse 13. Elihu says, why? Verse 13, why do us now strive against him? Why are you arguing with God? Why are you fighting with him? Look at this next phrase. Some of you need to get a hold of it, memorize it, it could change your life. He giveth not account of any of his matters. Elihu says, Job, God doesn't answer to you. He is under no obligation to explain Himself. I know you're asking why. I know you want to know when it's all going to end. But God is doing what He's doing and He doesn't answer to anybody for what He's doing. That's the hard part. And friend, listen to me. When an explanation for our suffering is more important than the purification of our suffering, we will inevitably develop a hard heart toward God. Every single time. Are you listening? When the explanation for our suffering is more important than the purification of our suffering, we will inevitably develop a hard heart toward God. Instead of understanding why He is doing this in my life, we want to know the answers, we want explanations, and we harbor bitterness toward God, and we fail to learn the lessons He's trying to teach us. Can I encourage you not to let the things you don't know with your head rob you of the things that you do know with your heart? Don't let the things you don't know with your head rob you of the things that you do know with your heart specifically that God never makes a mistake. He never makes a mistake. He knoweth the way that I take. And sometimes we need to be reminded that we have a different vantage point on Job's story than what he had. We read Job 23 and all the other things that are going on, and we're aware of something that Job was never aware of. I mean, never aware of it. And what is that? Oh, way back in chapter 1 when Satan bombarded the throne room of God and mocked God. And God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Never once does any other verse in the book of Job indicate to us that Job was aware of that meaning. He knew nothing about it. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. That God knows what we do not. He knows what's going on above us. He knows the circumstances by which this season of suffering has come into our lives. We trust Him. We follow Him. We allow Him to do His perfect work in our lives, even when it hurts so badly. Be encouraged. You may not know what's going on. God does. Write down number two. Not only does God know what I do not, but secondly, this will help you. The fires of our suffering are carefully regulated by God. Number two. The fires of our suffering, the fires of our suffering are carefully regulated by God. Look at the next part of verse 10 of chapter 23. Job said, He knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me. This metaphor of testings and trials is one that God uses throughout the scriptures. It's the picture of a goldsmith who carefully puts various metals, metals such as gold and silver, in a furnace of fire in order to purify those metals. Here's how it would work. The goldsmith would put the gold in a small, portable furnace by which we would call the refining pot. He put the gold in the refining pot and There would be a long handle on the end because he's not going to hold the refining pot in the fire of the flames with his hand. So he's going to put it out there like a a fishing net, just putting it out there to put it in the fire. So he puts the gold in the refining pot and he reaches it out to the fire where it would begin to heat up the gold, turning it into liquid. And in so doing, the impurities of the gold would begin to rise to the top. When the gold melted and the impurities would rise to the top, he would, he would take a special tool and begin to scrape out those impurities. He's purifying it. He's, he's cleaning it up to that perfect piece of gold. Once the impurities were taken out, he removed it from the fire, or the gold would once again harden into one piece, a piece that had been successfully purified. The goal was never to ruin the gold, but to purge it through the fire. This is the metaphor that Job is thinking when he says here in verse 10, I know that God is testing me. When he hath tried me, he is testing me. He is the master goldsmith who has placed me in the furnace of his purification. Now, there's a thing about the purification process. It doesn't happen without a fire. It doesn't happen without heat. In the spiritual sense, we refer to the fires of our afflictions. That means that God is managing The heat, that's what the goldsmith does. One hand is holding the refining pot and another hand is on the thermostat. And he knows exactly when to turn it down and he knows exactly when to turn it up. He knows when the heat is good. He knows when the heat needs to be increasing. And so with one hand on the refining pot, another hand on the thermostat, God is managing everything. God is in control of all of it. And let's be totally clear. There are times he has to turn the heat up. Listen, this is no wealth, health, wealth, and prosperity message. I'm not here to tell you, you come to Jesus, everything's a bed of roses. No, I'm telling you, you come to Jesus, you're going to be put in the fire. Now, do you want to follow him? sometimes he has to turn the heat up. I'm told that when refining gold, that sometimes they would heat the fires, that is the goldsmith, would heat the fires to temperatures of 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Temperatures that high would be the necessity of bringing out the impurifications properly. And we think about and experience the Anticity of the fire of affliction. It's overwhelming. But we cannot forget this truth. That God as the master goldsmith is carefully regulating the fire. His hands are on the thermostat. He knows exactly when to put us in. He knows exactly when to take us out. He knows exactly how long to keep us there. He knows exactly how much heat is necessary for us. That's what Job is saying. He is testing me. He is in control of this. He knows what is best for me. Child of God, understand that as you go through the fires of suffering that the heat is not out of God's control. Just the opposite. It's carefully regulated by His steady hand. You don't have to ask Him to come take control in the seasons of suffering. He's already in control in the seasons of suffering there's one more number one God knows what I do not number two the fires of our suffering are carefully regulated by God number three the trials of my life the trials of my life are about Christ being seen in me the trials of my life are about Christ Being seen in me. Look at it again in verse 10. He knoweth the way that I take. That is, God knows what I don't. When he hath tried me, that is, he is regulating the suffering. I shall come forth as gold. Now let's not forget the purpose of the furnace. The heat intensifies in order to purge the gold of impurity. And this goes right along with the point that the trials of my life are about Christ being seen in me. Because when we go through testings and trials, that heat, I'm talking about the heat of suffering. It sure does bring out the impurities of our lives. Because nothing else in life shows us how bitter we are than when suffering takes place. Nothing in life will show us just how prideful we are than when suffering takes place. When God turns up the heat of testings in our lives, we see who we are. Why? Because those impurities, those, that ugliness, that nastiness, the, the pride and the selfishness and, and the bitterness and the, the sin, it starts rising to the surface. Yes, that stuff that is deeply embedded into our souls and we don't even know is there, the suffering brings it out to the surface. Not only so that we can get rid of it, but so that we can see ourselves for who we really are. And this is what God is doing. He's trying to bring to the surface to show us the true condition of our lives, to purge us from these impurities. Now, when the goldsmith knows that it's time to pull it out of the fire, there's, a, there's an interesting process that he He follow, follows. I mean, most of us at this point in our life, especially if we study this about the Bible, we understand the imagery, the, gold, the gold, goldfish, goldfish, uh, I'm not in children's church, the goldsmith and the, and the and the fiery furnace and the refining pot, we get all that, but 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 if he's sticking it in there, turning up the heat, turning it down, when does he know that it's that it's, you know done? It's the same sentiment that we go through sufferings, you know. When is this gonna be finished? <laughs> When is this going to be over? How does the goldsmith know that it's time to pull the gold out of the fire? I was reading a book that shared the testimony of missionary Amy Carmichael. She wrote about this practice in her book as her missionary travels took her to the place of a goldsmith. He began to share with Amy Carmichael that every goldsmith knows that the gold is ready when he can see his reflection in the gold. He'll pull it out, he'll check it, and if there's still some impurities, he'll he'll get it out and put it back in. And if there's still some more, he'll get it out and put it back in. But, But once he pulls it out and it begins to come together into one piece, he can look into it. And when the impurities are gone, he can see Himself. You see it now, don't you? That God, the master goldsmith, is purifying us so that we would become more like him. You see, our purpose is to be conformed into the image of his son. That's why you're here. The Bible teaches us that. that God's purpose for my life is for me to become more like him. How does that happen? Bible, prayer, counsel, influences, all. And one more. Suffering. Suffering. And when God brings the fiery furnace of his sufferings, it's so that we can reflect a better image of Jesus Christ. That's what Job is saying here. I know when God is done with me, I know I'm going to come out of this like the gold He desires for me to be. You see, Job believed God knew his situation. Job believed God was testing him. Job believed that he would emerge a better man. And you know what? What? That's exactly what happened. Let's go to one more passage before we're done. Go to chapter 42. Let's fast forward, as Paul Harvey would say, to the rest of the story. Job 42. This is the end, and it's a wonderful conclusion. In fact, God restores everything to Job. He brings his family Back to him, he vindicates him in front of his accusers. In fact, look at what verse 12 says. Verse 12 of chapter 42 says that the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than its beginning. That God was even more gracious to him after the suffering before he ever went through the suffering. In fact, you read it, verse 12 says that he got back twice as much livestock, which means he had twice as much fortune. And again, I don't have time to take you there tonight, but you might write down chapter 1 and verse 3. And if you want to look at these letters just later, just compare them and notice the number of, of uh, livestock that he has here in chapter 42 versus the number of livestock he had in chapter 1 and verse 3. It'll tell you God gave him more than he had in the beginning. Gave him twice as much children. Look at that in verse 13. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And then they tell us the names of them in verse 14. I'll leave that to you to figure out. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out, time out. Hold on, hold on. You can't leave yet. We got a question. You said he got twice as many children. But, but according to verse 13, he has the same number of children after the suffering that he did before the suffering. That's not twice as many children. Oh, yes, it is. It shows us life after death. Ten children in heaven, ten children on earth, twenty children. How? Yeah. Oh, it gets better. Gives him grandchildren, great-grandchildren. God restores his joy. Oh, and beyond this point, he lives another 140 years longer. I mean, this is the same guy who's complaining throughout the book, I'm going to die today. And God lets him live another 140 years. Look at it. Verse 15, In all the land where no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, their father gave them an inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job 140 years. He got to spend them with his great, 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 great grandchildren. Look at it. And he saw his sons and his sons' sons, four generations, four generations. That's a lot of trips to Disney World with your grandkids. And when he died, don't be offended by this. You need to understand what it means. Look at the last verse. So Job died being an old man full of days. That's that's a compliment. Old and full of days. It simply means he died having lived a full and happy life. A full and happy life. I think it's safe to say that indeed Job came forth as gold. Friend, no one is untouchable when it comes to the pains and sufferings of life. So when it comes, because it will, it's not a matter of if. Matter of when. My wife and I have three children in heaven. My age, and this is not about me, it's about Job and the Lord. But at my young age, we have gone through seasons of suffering. I have certain health issues that the Lord is aware of that I get help for regularly. You see, suffering does not discriminate on age, location, or godliness. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and when it comes, trust Him. He knows what He's doing. You need to tell yourself that tonight. He knows what He's doing. Allow His testing to work in your life. He he never makes a mistake. He's simply purifying my life. So that when it's all over, and I see Him face to face, I'll be a clear reflection of who He already is. We close with this verse and we'll pray. 1 Peter 4, 19. Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God. All suffering is in the will of God. Let him that suffer according to the will of God. Notice this. Commit to the keeping of their souls, to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. That is, when you go through sufferings, trust your Creator who always does what is well. When your faith is tested, may God help us to come forth as gold.